Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned, line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is that God would truly have us to understand from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello there, God bless you, and welcome into the study today. We're very glad to have you. We're going to be picking it up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, in just a moment. Now, in our last study, we got to where Christ is telling us how to, how to make it in this world, how to be blessed. And we came down to Him teaching us how to pray. Now, many will call that the Lord's Prayer. You'll actually find the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. And it was basically... One of his last prayers that he prayed before he went and was crucified. And that's the true Lord's Prayer, where he is praying for those who are trying to follow him and are doing the best they can in this world. So the one we covered in chapter 6 here in Matthew was him teaching us how to pray. And it don't have to be a long, drawn-out, very intellectual type of prayer. You just speak from your heart. You just tell, you just talk to God. He's intelligent. And then you got to forgiving men for their trespasses. And you've got to forgive yourself as well. That's a a big point that usually gets looked over is that to be forgiven, you have to also forgive yourself. You're going to, those things, whatever it was, they're going to, you're going to remember them. They're not going to be wiped from your memory, but that's for teaching. That's to teach us, okay, you stumbled here. Let's not do it next time. And also we covered that once you repent for a sin, you do not have to repent for that sin again unless you commit it again. Then it's, you know, at that point it becomes a new sin. But you don't have to sit there and worry about the same sin over and over and over and over and because it's showing a lack of faith in that you're forgiven. So with that being said, let's go ahead and pick it up here in verse 19. We ask for clarity and understanding from our Father. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, what treasures are laid up in heaven? Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, tells us, let me move over here just real quick. Revelation 16, 15, tells us, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Now, what, is the, what are these garments that we're talking about? This, these treasures laid up in heaven. Well, how do you get those? Revelation 19, verse 8 says, And to her was granted, this being the bride of Christ, that's the church, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's the treasures that you can lay up, is those righteous acts that you do. And not doing it for selfish gain, 
like a, well, I'll do this because, you know, I know that that's going to get me a little better in heaven. You don't do it for that type of deal. But those righteous acts that you do, it just adds the material to those fine linen clothing, to that fine linen clothing that you get whenever you're in heaven, those robes, those robes of righteousness. Now, this also is not saying if you're rich with God's blessings, if God has blessed you and has given you wealth or whatever it may be, that's not saying this is a sin or that that's a sin. It's just saying don't chase after this. Don't ha- don't be dead set on money is above everything because it's material and it will go away. What should be above everything is God. Verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single or clear, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thine whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And this is where you get that the eye is the mirror of the soul. You can look somebody in the eyes and, you know, usually you can... You can read somebody as far as if they if they mean to do harm or anything like that to you, or you can see kindness in people's eyes. And that's what this is talking about. And if someone is following a very dark path and their eye is not clear and it causes the corruption of the soul, then that's that that's the how great is that darkness. It's very it's very great darkness because it is that corruption. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot worship God and worship anything else. God has to come first. 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor Yet for your body, what shall, uh, what you shall put on is not life more than meat and body than raiment. So don't worry about it. Verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? He is our Father. They are animals. They are beautiful creatures. But He is our Father. And he created our souls and our spirits. So how much more is he going to take care of us? And the, the birds never go, never go wanting. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. That toil not or neither do they spin means they don't work. And... The toll would be like a, a man's work and the spin would be like the spinning of yarn, like what the, the ladies would do at this time. Verse 29. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which to this, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now, one thing on this lilies is this is this is pointing to the elect. And the reason I say that Song of Solomon or Song of Songs or Canticles, whatever it may be, 
in your Bible, gives us a, the, a beautiful love story of Christ and his elect. And it has to do with a Shulamite girl, which would be the elect or those that are following Christ. And then you have the shepherd, which is symbolic of Christ. And then you have the king, which is symbolic of the Antichrist. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, the Shulamite girl says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And then the shepherd said, as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. And what he's saying here, what they're talking about is in this age right now, for those who follow this word, who try to do everything they can to do righteousness, and those who are the elect or the, the predestined are like flowers in the midst of thorns, which also points towards the parable of the sower, where he was throwing his seed out, and some of the seed landed amongst the thorns, and the thorns rose up and choked it out. We've got to be sure not to allow the thorns of this world to choke us out, as far as staying true to God's word. Verse 30. Wherefore, if God so... We got that. Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or where withal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, these Gentiles, they were just, they were looked really bad on. They were looked at as heathens and everything. And what he's saying is the heathens, like, that have no faith, that's what they worry about. But you've got God. You should have that faith. Don't worry about the day-to-day -day things. They'll happen. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Seek first, look for him. If you've got a question, go to this word and search it out and use this word as your ruling God. And that is seeking the kingdom of heaven. Verse 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So basically, why worry about tomorrow today? Tomorrow's not even promised today. So don't let tomorrow, your thoughts of what's going to happen tomorrow, mess up your attitude or your or whatever it may be today. If you're out, if you're supposed to be on vacation or whatever it might be with the family, and you start worrying about work the next day and it ruins that day, well, then you've just lost that experience. Let tomorrow handle itself. It'll, it will definitely, it'll get around to it. Chapter 7 and verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. Now, the prophet Daniel, the word, the name Daniel means God is my judge. And we're not to judge. We cannot see inside someone's heart. We don't know what someone's thinking. So, that's God's job. And we need to stay out of his way on that, because that's one of those things. Whenever you start getting up and start judging and start stepping on his toes, he don't like that. Verse two, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measures ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam 
that is in your own eye. Now, a mote is like a speck, and this beam is just a significant dark spot. Verse 4. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. You kind of, it, it's, what it's saying is, how are you going to correct somebody that's, you know, they might be slipping a little bit, but this part, the one with the beam in their eye is over here just running amok, and he's going to correct this guy? Verse 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. Fix yourself up. Get yourself straight. And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Okay. What this is talking about is these, these pearls of wisdom, this seed that's in this word, that's your pearls. And to give them to swine, swine is an unclean animal. In the, in the food laws, you're not to eat swine because it is poisonous. It's poisonous to your body. The reason for that, it does not have sweat glands, and it was put on earth to clean the earth. So it's a, it's a very dirty animal. So what he's saying is don't just constantly throw these pearls of wisdom at those that are unclean or, or that are... You know, they could care less about it because you're just wasting your time and you do it enough and they might turn around and, and lash back at you. Now, you could plant a seed, but don't just sit there and continually throw it. Verse seven, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now, you notice each of these three actions required action on our part. You've got to ask, you've got to seek and you've got to knock. Verse 8, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now what would this be no, be opened? It's the doors of your mind, which he would which Christ would say, if you have the key of David, then it unlocks doors that can't be shut, and it shuts doors that can't be opened. And what that is is understanding the truth to where you can't be deceived. Verse 9. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? So what is bread? The bread of life. And so if your son comes to you, or if someone comes to you and asks for a good word, or a, a, one of these pearls of wisdom here, and you give him a stone... Now, a stone, that's a type for the Antichrist or, or one of his, a, a false rock. In Ezekiel chapter 28, he's known as the Prince of Tyre and the King of Tyre. The word Tyre means rock or stone. And then as we ask of a fish, we know the early Christians used to use the fish symbol to symbolize a church meeting whenever they were having to do it covertly. And the reason for that is in the Greek, whenever you spell out fish, in, in the Greek language, it is an acronym, and it's ichthy in the Greek, and it means Son of God, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And so if someone's asking for that salvation, why would you give them a serpent or the devil? Why, why would you do that? Verse 11, if ye then being evil, 
know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now, does it mean and go out and ask for a brand new, nice, fancy car or piles of cash and all that? This is stuff to help his kingdom. You don't need all the fancy cars to help the kingdom. You need the wisdom. You need the, the understanding, the clarity. Verse 12, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would, th you would that men should do to you, do ye even to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Do unto others as they would do unto you. Verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there which go in thereat, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but in inwardly they are ravening wolves. And what this is talking about, a sheep's clothing, well, what, what is Christ? He's the Lamb of God. They come to you looking so religious, so righteous, so Christian, if you will. But really they're just... They're dressed up like that, and the whole time they're mutilating the flock. They're spreading the flock and, and mutilating them spiritually. Verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? No. You get grapes from a vine. You get figs from a fig tree. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth, bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And this is what he's saying is test it. Test the fruit. See what they do. You know, you don't have to judge anyone, but you can discern it. You can spiritually discern if someone's doing righteously or if they're not. And by that, you will know their, their character. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into, in, into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. Now what day is that? That's the Lord's day. That's that millennial kingdom at the seventh trump when he comes back. It's that day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now this stumps a lot of people as to how were they going about this? How were they doing this in his name? And he won't allow them in. The the key point on this is in that day, which means this is after the Antichrist has come and had the tribulation on earth. And these who were healing in Christ's name were actually doing it in the name of the Antichrist, thinking that he was Christ. That's why he would say, I never knew you. They didn't study enough to understand that there are two tribulations. There is the tribulation of the Antichrist. And then, at the seventh trump, 
the tribulation of Christ when he comes back and sets everything right. They didn't study enough. They didn't learn. And so now they followed the first one. They jumped on the wrong boat. They boarded the wrong. They, they left too early and decided they were going to go work for this other guy. And then Christ came back. Verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, the rock. And the man and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. It had that foundation of Christ, of wisdom, of understanding that it was on, that salvation. And every one that heareth these things, say, and every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon sand. Now, what's the thing about sand? It's shifty. It goes this way. It goes that way. It moves around. It can be easily been, easily be moved from one place to another. It's just not founded. It's not steadfast. 27. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And it's because he is that king of kings. This is his kingdom, the king and his dominion. So he has that authority. That's why he could do that. He wasn't, he wasn't playing priest. He wasn't teaching of God. He was God teaching in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Chapter 8 and verse 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, if thou, will, thou canst make me clean. That's showing faith. He knows that he, could clean him, that he could cleanse him of this leprosy. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou cleansed. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, leprosy was a disease where they were, they, whenever you got it, you were not to be in the camp. You weren't to come by anybody that was that was clean of this, that didn't have it. And if someone was approaching you and it looked like maybe they didn't know that you had it, they the lepers had to holler. They had to start telling everybody, whoa, I'm a leper. Don't come around me. Don't come around me. So for Christ to touch him, that's very, you know, that shows, hey, he's out here in the trenches. He's touching the unclean things, making them clean. Verse 4, And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So what the law, what, what the law, the ceremonial laws required at this point, because at this point Christ has not sacrificed himself yet. He has not shed his, his, his blood for us. So this law is still in effect the sacrifices and so on verse 5 and when jesus was entered into capernaum there came unto him a a centurion centurion there we go beseeching him and saying lord my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy grievously tormented and jesus said unto him i will come and heal him now this centurion is 
he would not have been he, he's roman okay so he's following whatever customs they have but watch this faith right here verse 8 the centurion answered and said lord i'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed even this, this centurion understands this the pharisees and the scribes and the sadducees are going to walk around like there's something you know, Jesus isn't worthy of, of coming into their presence. But this centurion is so humble and so full of faith. Verse 9, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doth that. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Israel, they were too proud of themselves. They were too proud of, oh, we're God's chosen people. So everybody else is just Gentiles. They're just dogs. You know, the, the whole rest of the world is swine. And, and you know, we don't have to do anything. We're just, we're up here. We're muckety ducks. But this centurion came and humbled himself. Verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of, of the kingdom shall be cast out into their outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. So through that faith, Christ didn't even have to go to his house. Just as the centurion said, Christ is the commander of everything. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. So all he had to do is just thank it, and it was gone. It was done. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of fever, and he touched her hand and felt, and, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. She didn't lay around anymore. She got healed, and she went right to work, and that's what we're supposed to do. And spiritually, whenever we become healed, whenever we receive that salvation, then it's time to go to work. It's time to get up and minister. It's time to... and and. Not necessarily go out and teach right then, but work on learning, work on absorbing this word until the point till you get to where if it is a, a, the, a calling that you have to teach, then go teach or go serve, go minister some way, whatever it is. But do the work for this kingdom, for, the, for God. Verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all their sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. That's Isaiah 53, 4. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whitherso thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. 
Now, something about this, the foxes have holes. In, I believe it's Jeremiah. Now I'm, now I'm just going off the top of my head. But it speaks of foxes coming through and rending the vineyard. They come through and tear up the vines in the vineyard. And what it's speaking of is the false prophets. And so what he's doing here is kind of very subtly calling out these false prophets, these false uh, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees that are not of the true Levitical lineage, but have just been placed here and have worked their way through, as we've talked about before, the Kenites, as they work their way into this scribeship. That's what he's pointing out here. He does it real subtly, but he's bringing everything to light. Verse 21 And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now what this is, is his father hadn't died yet. He was in the process of dying. So it could have been months, could have been years. There's no telling. And so he was wanting to just go back and hang around and do whatever, you know, not necessarily do any work, but just sit there until this passing occurred and then he could bury him. What Christ is saying is, look, if you're going to follow me, come on now. He'll be fine. He'll be there when you get back. Verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Actually, he was asleep because he knew nothing was going to happen. It was all good. Verse 25. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Now what this is having to do with, or the example of this for us, is that, you know, sometimes we got to handle stuff on our own. Now you, you pray to God. But we're in this world, he's not gonna he's not gonna tell you what clothes to wear every day. He's not gonna tell you what car to take because of the weather. If that's up to us. We've got to use our common sense to do the basics of living, okay? The day to day type of things. That's why he gave us brains. That's why he gave us the ability to think and to do on our own. Now in all things including but what he's saying here is, why? it's just a storm. What are you worried about? He's calm as anything. Just keep sailing. The storms of this world are going to pop up. And it's our duty or our job to keep our boat afloat. Keep it going. Pray and keep it off the rocks. Now, we will pick it up in verse 27 in the next study. God bless y'all. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like to be answered on the podcast, you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com or you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691. Thank you and God bless you.